Welcome to Pantasocracy, and this is your host, Ms. Panty Bliss. <laughs> and the crowd go mild. Hi, thank you. Welcome to uh, Pantasocracy, and um, it's a cabaret of conversations that we like to call it. And this summer we have taken people on, well, journeys high and low. So this last show of the season, we're going to kick back and have lots of performances before everybody has to go back to school. So um, it's a smorgasbord, as they might say in Sweden, of contemporary Irish talent today. So first up, we have a couple of musicians who are also just a couple, which is a very risky thing to do <laughs> in the music business if you ask Agneta, Frida, Benny and Bjorn. They are Sorka McGrath and Simon Cullen, who together are ships. <laughs> It's an unusual name, and I have something to discuss with him about it uh, shortly. They're an electronic duo that picked up the Choice Music Award earlier this year. So thanks for being here, and we're looking very much forward to hearing ships. <laughs> Next to them is another pair now, but these two are definitely not romantically involved, much to the disappointment of many young homosexual men throughout <laughs> the country. Um, <laughs> it is Tebby Rex, who are made up of Matt O'Briel, and on the other side <laughs> him is Max Zanga. Now, they hooked up, which as I say that out loud, <laughs> sounds wrong. You met at university in Minus, where you bonded over, well, your love of the same kind of music and all of that. Um, and so welcome, Matt and Max. <laughs> they are kind of poster boys for multicultural Ireland, I guess, and the music scene, because as our audience is here, Matt's a ginger, and Max, whose real name is now, please forgive me, Max, Daffy Urugbo. So close, killed it. Perfect, well, <laughs> so close. I'll take that as perfect. He's one of the sort of new wave of Irish musicians whose uh, parents came to this country from Nigeria. So, uh, welcome both of you. And um, along with those two twosomes, we have um, a woman of words, powerful words, and I've met her before in Vicar Street. Uh, please welcome Faley Speaks. She's a spoken word performance artist uh, who you know, deals very strongly and forcefully with uh, politics, gender, and identity. And the woman behind the stage name Faley Speaks is Felicia Olasanya. She would describe herself as Afro-Irish. Yeah. She was born in Nigeria, grew up in Longford. I am so sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, her, she has a first play coming up in this year's Dublin Fringe Festival, so I'm excited about that. Uh, so, once more time, please welcome Faith Speaks. <laughs> and to round off our Rubel of Talent, we have a woman of lyrical songs, and we are both today working a very fashionable silver-grey hair. Hers is better than mine, but mine is more expensive. <laughs> um, it's NEK, a.k.a. Ethnan Kahal. And when she is not writing and performing songs with a sound that's a bit like Joni Mitchell meets Kate Bush, she spends her time teaching Shannos to people. Anyway, so with my guest today, I've been thinking about the ties that bind and define us, you know, the sort of relationships of family and friendship that sustain us. Um, now, sometimes, when I was a kid, perhaps just after my older brother Fergal had given me a dead leg, or maybe my younger sister Claire had reached over and taken the last meringue with her big innocent eyes, <laughs> I would look sort of wistfully at the one kid in class who was an only child, and I would think he was so lucky. <laughs> you know, even if at the time, people always would drop their voices when they would say, only child. You know, in the same way that my grandmother would say someone was German. You know, implying that they didn't want to embarrass them by saying it out loud because it wasn't really their fault, but it was still something that we didn't approve of. 
But I didn't envy the only child for very long, because even then, I knew that my siblings, you know, as annoying as they could be at times, were on balance a good thing. And that was for reasons big and small. Now, the bigger ones, um, I become more aware of as I grow older. You know, like a spouse, your siblings are there in sickness and in health. Your resources are pooled, and responsibilities shared. And they understand where you come from. There's nothing to hide or to explain. But there's smaller stuff, too, that I appreciate. For example, they give me glimpses into other worlds. You know, my siblings all do really very different things, and they live in very different worlds to mine. It's unlikely we'd ever meet, and if we did, it would be once in passing and not the kind of regular meetings upon which friendships are built. You know, my siblings aren't like my friends, and that's a good thing. You know, my sister Edel, for example, she's a carer. She's spent her whole life looking after other people. And sometimes people who need the kind of care that seems to me overwhelming, I shamefully think I couldn't do it. And yet, someone has to do it, someone like my amazing sister. And it's only because she's my sister that I appreciate that there are amazing people out there in the world who look after people who need looking after in ways that I would be overwhelmed by. And my siblings have also passed things on to me. And I don't just mean the hand-me-down coats and tennis rackets and school books and chicken pox <laughs> that I would take with an ungrateful put-upon look before huffing off to school, convinced I would have been better off in the orphanage with Oliver Twist, because at least his gruel was his own and not a hand-me-down gruel <laughs> that his sister had already written in all the answers in Blue Biro. <laughs> My sister, Alvin, she gave me Paul Simon and Fleetwood Mac and Olivia Newton-John and Saturday Night Fever and Mary Coughlin. And David Cassidy, but we don't need to dwell on David Cassidy. <laughs> My brother Fergal, he gave me Queen, and U2. He took me to my very first concert, U2 in Crow Park, 1985. Edel gave me Gilbert and Sullivan and South Pacific and My Grandma told your grandma, sitting by the fire. My grandma told your grandma, I'm going to set this world on fire. Talk about <laughs> my sister Claire. Well, I gave her Michael Jackson for which I'm sure she's very grateful. She ought to be. Shut up! <laughs> my siblings gave me the soundtrack to my life, which might seem like a small thing, but it's not. You know, every life needs a soundtrack, a score to accompany it with. You know, without the Bee Gees, John Travolta strutting down a Brooklyn street in his Cuban heels and checking his hair out in the shop window would, frankly, have been a big Egypt. <laughs> but with him, he was a star. You'll notice I didn't mention my oldest brother, Lorcan. He gave me a great piece of musical advice which I'm now going to impart to you. Irish people, we all know Patricia the Stripper. <laughs> it's part of our modern Irish DNA. And regardless how you feel about the rest of Christopher's oeuvre, you cannot tell me that Patricia the Stripper isn't one of the most fun story songs ever written. And it's important that it's a story song because with a story song, you don't need to be a great singer. So here is the great thing I'm telling you. Let's assume that, unlike most of my guests today, you're not actually a good singer. And you can never remember poems, and you've got two left feet. And one day, you find yourself at a party abroad. Drinks have been taken, and songs are being sung, and the next thing, to your horror, they're all looking at you. And worse, they're all looking at you expectantly, because, well, you're Irish, aren't you? And everyone knows that every Irish person is great for the old singing and partying. <laughs> and they know that because, well, that's what we've been telling them for years, and they bought it. <laughs> and now they're all looking at you, and you are thinking, oh, shite. <laughs> well, you don't have to, because you got this. Tell them that 
Dennis was a menace, with his anyone for tennis, and beseeching them to come and keep the score. And these people have never heard that. They don't know about Dennis, or Maud being so bored, or that you're going out to dinner with a gorgeous singer, and they certainly do not know what else Patricia does for a living, or that she's going to soon end up in court and have a very lucky escape because she was in her working clothes. <laughs> it's all new to them. And by the time they find out about Patricia's sexy part-time job and are relieved to hear the judge bang on the table and declare, case dismissed, <laughs> you are going to be hailed as an all-conquering party piece hero. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I, I'm sort of assuming that even young people know it, do they? I've heard of it. Oh, God damn it, my whole theory's <laughs> out the window already. Yeah. It's an amazing, stupid song. Isn't it? It is. It is. You can't knock it. Stupid songs. I'm, I'm going to start with you, Inny K, if I may. Well, first of all, because before people think I'm just nuts, tell me about the name Inny K. Um, I was nicknamed Inny kind of growing up. My name is Etna, and the river Etna is also known as the Inny River. So a friend of mine decided to call me Inny Kane, because Nikahon is Kane, Keen in English. So I like the sound of Inny Kane, and I shortened it to Inny K. Okay, and, and why? Um, well, I grew mm. up with traditional music and I love playing traditional music, play fiddle and sing shano singing, but because I was a bit known just as a traditional singer. So mm. if people hear your name, Anthony Cohan, they'll assume that you are a kind of traditional musician. And I was like, no, I'm not only. <laughs> I do other things. So it was a help in that way. So it's kind of still. But you are steeped in traditional. I mean, your yes. grandfather taught you to play the fiddle, is it? He did when I was four years old. Yeah. So I grew up very much, I suppose, bathed in traditional music mm. and all sorts of other music too but it was mm. the main thing we'd all be going to Flannicol and Milltown Malbay and all the various summer schools during the summer and yeah and that's the, something that you felt you needed to break out of, or it was just natural for you because you're also listening to pop music and whatever else um I think when I got to songwriting I needed fresh canvas I needed just to be able to write whatever I wanted in whatever style I wanted and I didn't know what that was yet until I tried it for a mm. few years uh, I, I think of it a bit like a mask in theatre, you know, when you have a different mask on, you can be almost more yourself. So well, you see, that is something that, that I very much <laughs> And it's funny because almost all, you know all, I mean? accidentally, almost all of our guests today have a sort of yeah. an alter ego. Mm. Now, Daffy, is, your real name is Daffy, but your stage name is Max. You know, well, would you call it an alter ego or it's just a name? I mean, it was an alter ego at the start, but I guess now it's just more of a name. Mm. I mean, when I started rapping, I was like maybe... 13 or 14 and I sucked and I was insecure <laughs> but I wanted to rap about rapper stuff so it was very like kind of cool guy Mr. Fresh all this kind of stuff but then as I got older I became less insecure and stuff so it was less me taking on a character and it's just being me so yeah. I keep it because I like it I'm accustomed to it but Nah, it's just more of a rap name, like an alias, mm. more than anything else. Well, it's funny because, you know, rap musicians are almost like drag queens, aren't they? They take on these other slightly different personas, you know. I mean, I, I think it's a really freeing thing to do because you are presenting a different version of yourself on stage. And Fairly Speaks, you also took on a stage version of yourself. Why did you do it? I just thought it sounded really cool one day. <laughs> I was just chilling and I was just thinking about random names or a stage name, and I didn't want something that didn't sound like me. Yeah. So I came up with Feli Speaks. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's an alter ego, nor... Mm. I would just say it's an extension of myself. Yes, well, see, that's what I feel exactly about what I do, because it's impossible to keep up an alter ego yeah. full-time. People want to have a real conversation with you, and if you're going to be pretending to be somebody you're not, then that conversation can't be real. Like, if they... I get in taxis like this, and people, you know, see me every week, and they say, oh, hi, how was your week? And... 
they want a real answer. So to me, it's not an alter ego either. It's just another version of myself. But it's one that allows me to be more fun and entertaining or whatever. <laughs> Do you take power from this other version of you? Yeah, I, I would call it very empowering. And even if I was, say, I'm Felicia on stage, I would probably be the exact same version. I think Feli Speaks is just a marketable name, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the marketing with the young people. Now, Daffy, is, you connect with a number of us here too because of Michael Jackson, right? Ah, that's me, I'm the guy, yeah. Yes, and I know ships are, both of you. Now, Daffy, you're, you see, you're 21, is that right? Yeah, yeah, I'm but, a baby. So it's interesting to me that you don't know really Patricia the stripper, but Michael Jackson's a massive influence on you. Yeah, I think it's just like, you know... My parents love that, I guess, because they're Nigerian, so they wouldn't be in on this, like, secret Irish thing y'all got going on. <laughs> That's true. That's true, yeah. You know, so. Now, you were steeped in Michael Jackson, but you're at the right age for it. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I grew up listening to Michael Jackson and dancing to Michael Jackson. Mm. And actually, when myself and Simon met, we discovered that we were both kind of dressing up a bit like Michael Jackson. <laughs> and Simon knew all the moves still to this day to, uh, what is it, uh, the way you make me feel? <laughs> oh, my God. And that was like the love song for me. Like, I think I part um, wanted to be Michael Jackson and also fancied him. Like, it was very, he's very confused kind of role model. <laughs> yeah, but well, yeah. I wonder if that, you know, when you're different when you're 21 and you're looking back at remembered versions of him, mm. but at the time... Time he was, yeah. Like, I, what age are you, Sorka? I'm in my late 30s. She's in <laughs> late 30s, <laughs> oh, Simon, you are? Same. Same, late 30s. And Ethna, how old are you? Late 30s. Late, early. Well, Simon's a little bit older than you. The Michael Jackson that I first knew was the unsullied version. Mm. He was just this kind of pure entertainment figure. My version, I think, was the best one where he was at the peak of all of his powers and there was no weirdness yes. yet. Yeah, yeah. And so I obsessed on him. Mm. I mean, he was the only you know, musician or performer or anything where like, I, I, I wanted everything. And thank God the internet wasn't around or I would have just stayed at home all day reading about him. And I remember making my mother go and get Time magazine for me because he went to, when he was on the cover and it was such a big deal that a black person was on the cover of you know, Time magazine. Mm. And so to me, he's this incredible that binds so many people of different generations and they all take different things from mm. him. But yet at the time, you know, it wasn't cool. And not, certainly in Ireland, it wasn't cool to be a you know, massive Michael Jackson fan. Like I would get slagged in school about it because Irish boys didn't dance. You know, they just hadn't met Simon yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, he's a little, Simon's a little younger than me, so I wondered did that change or something? Yeah, like I would have been like the mid eighties mm. when I was infatuated, and maybe I, maybe I, I was aware of that because I yeah. remember dressing up as Michael Jackson. But I'm not sure if I ever went outside dressed up as He had, I think, he had the like the androgynous sexuality, like a little bit like Prince, like yeah. in the same way. I wanted to be Prince, but I also fancied him. <laughs> Maybe yeah. that's just everybody I was listening <laughs> to. But I think the similar thing. People, uh, younger people, especially men, were probably afraid to really love Prince because mm. what did that mean? Well, I also think that hip hop made it acceptable in the sort of popular culture mm. for men to want to be flashy or to. You know, Jay-Z and all that makes that okay. Whereas earlier, when I was a kid, I don't think that was considered okay by Irish boys. Yeah, well, I, th I think that Michael Jackson reinvented himself kind of in the, in the 80s. It went from that disco kind of style of thriller and off the wall, and it got edgier and a little bit more kind of into metal music and hard rock with, like, with, with the Bad album. Mm. There's a lot of that sound in there like, and, and with the leather jacket and all that kind of stuff. And then there's the softer side of things as well, like, you know, on that album, like the denim shirt and the 
the pieces of string for a belt. Librarian yeah. girl, as we used to call yeah. it. <laughs> and, and so, um, actually, tell me about meeting Simon. Well, we met actually because Simon was part of something called the Spatial Music Collective. Wow. Very nerdy. <laughs> a very nerdy endeavour. And uh, my what, what, what was the Spatial Music Collective? <laughs> well, straight out of college, myself and a few people started doing performances, like multi-speaker kind of surround sound, writing music for, like tape music for audiences to sit in the middle for. So we, we were putting on shows. Yeah, very yeah, kind real of like sparsely, yeah. sparsely attended shows. I went to uh, see one of these shows because my uncle Liam uh, was also in the Spatial Music Collective. So mm. I think there's about six performers and I knew what my uncle's piece was and then there was one other piece that stood out majorly to me and I just loved it. Mm. Obviously, after congratulating my uncle, then I also asked him, and by the way, you know, who was that? What was that second piece? And he said, oh, it's a guy called Simon Cullen and he like pointed over to the room and I was like oh okay then so I think we <laughs> I think we started talking at, at the venue yeah. and then we moved to a pub and we kept talking music just the two and, of you yeah but with with the whole group of right. the performance but myself and Simon just started talking and we've just never stopped talking <laughs> we actually met like about an hour before that because, because you were late, late you for the show <laughs> and I was looking after the door and you were last in on that. And did you think immediately, mm, who's yeah, that? yeah, yeah, a little chat. We had a little flirt at the door. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and so, um, t- talk to me about the name Ships. Because I, I, I have a theory about it. But. So Ships, we actually had an original name, which you might enjoy. Uh, we, our first name we came up with was, was called the Secondhand Claps, which was pointed out to us <laughs> at some point that maybe the clap and secondhand claps <laughs> was not something you wanted associated <laughs> with your music. That was named by a friend because we'd been, uh, we got him into a record claps for a song and uh, we reused his clap in another song and he came in the door and he's like are you using secondhand claps like you know those aren't fresh claps so um, we went off that <laughs> we went off that idea after many clap jokes and we just had to sit with the music which really it turns out we write about relationships and uh, companionship and craftsmanship and we just talk about the ships it's like it's a what is that a suffix yeah well, because do you know about this shipping? I had not heard do? of this. Now, now please tell me, Max, Max, do you know about shipping? Yeah, we know that. I know. Yeah, oh, so shipping is this thing, like I came across on the internet when I thought this is just, you know, the kids, the things they get up to. So basically, if you're, like, let's say you're a hormonal teenage girl. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and you are madly in love with, I don't know, Zane from One Direction. We can all get on board with that. Mm-hmm. And let's say you're also madly in love with it. It could even be a fictional character like um, Harry Potter, for example. And then you write your own fiction, which envisages Zane and Harry Potter making love together. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And they call it shipping. So she has shipped Zane and Harry Potter. I mean, sometimes it's quite sexy, but it's, <laughs> it's charming, too. It has a sort of a... You know, teenage fantasy vibe about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when I heard your, I wondered had that anything to do with it. No, I'd never heard of that, but I love it. Yeah, I mean, I've had you know fantasies of from inanimate objects, uh, animals, <laughs> wow. cartoon characters. You know, as a kid, <laughs> like, like, Max twenty one years old. Please, <laughs> um, but you, 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 you about shipping, so I'm not going mad. I'm, I'm not. Oh no, I mean, like, I think the most interesting one is more so when they do the pictures and drawings because they yes. get very graphic wow. and like, yo, yeah. okay. 
So we're talking about. Yeah. Oh man, it's <laughs> crazy. I mean, people kind of ship us already because they think mm-hmm. we're a couple. Yo, so that, that you was, see, that was yeah. shipping. Like, I was kind of almost shipping you in the introduction. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Lasarka, uh, you're going to perform first. Yes. The song is Golden Rule. That's and right. you're abandoning your partner in life and music and you're going to perform solo. I'm doing solo. it solo, yes. Okay. We're not even sure how that came about, but that's how it is. Uh, now, the, the Golden Rule, of course, when I read that the song was going to be called the Golden Rule, mm. I immediately thought of the Golden Ratio, which is the yes. artistic idea of things are beautiful when they're in a certain proportion. Mm-hmm. But that's not what no. it is at all. It's more like a tip of the hat to the philosophy of uh, do unto others as... They, as what is it? <laughs> I as don't even know that. Like, as you'd like, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, treat others like treat you would others like, treat like you want to be treated. But I think so it's a Bible verse or whatever. It, it is, but I think like actually, when I think about Golden Rule, it's almost like a, a a warning, maybe not to always do that. When myself and Simon met, I think I had come out of like two long term relationships. And when I met Simon, the Warning last sign. thing <laughs> took a real the last thing I wanted to do was have another relationship. I was really quite adamant, and I think for your own reason, Simon, we, we we didn't really want to be in a relationship. So we kind of started writing music for a long time, like nearly a year or two years before we became romantically involved. You didn't kiss for all the time, or well, we, there well, might have been, maybe. you know, there Got might have been a couple like, times. Well, like, there you might know, have been some occasions. You're writing, you're writing a rhyme. <laughs> yeah. You know, you want to celebrate, <laughs> you know. Okay, well, enough about your, your <laughs> disgusting love life. Um, yeah. Uh, the Golden Rule. Well, this is yeah. a song about kind of bringing your old heartache into a new relationship and just being afraid to love again. Like, we're all afraid to love when we've had our heart broken. And I think Golden Rule is kind of that feeling of old patterns on top of old pain and like like all our songs I think they're like actually songs to the self so Golden Rule for me is very much me talking to me Uh, so let's hear Zorka yes let's hear this song so I'm gonna go and break some hearts (laughs) (laughs) love has got a new name Pressing on an old ache Hope becoming heartbreak Holding back part of me Ready, set to worry Keeping my eye out There's something in your movement you're looking for a way around History repeated I've already seen this Hard to see the difference Blinded by experience And we can keep explaining why everything is all news but we're only here to witness me and you tell me that you're leaving leaving all the lies out Something I can do without 
not a reason to keep me where I want Bruce. Believe that I am capable of me and you. But it's no use in cause you. Now it's coming back to haunt you. This old room runs through you. It's got you looking for some hard proof. This old move is hurting you. You can't help yourself to see it through. This old room runs through you. It's got you looking for some hard proof. Now, but of course, that's a very stripped back version of the Golden Rule because normally when your guys are playing it as ships, it sounds very different. Mm. And you're going to be doing something with it again? Yeah, I think we're going to release a stripped back version of the whole album ah. um, because we really like to work things up electronically and we spent like the best parts of two years making the album and a lot of that time... The album being Procession, the one you won the Choice Music Award earlier this year. But uh, what was what's it like to suddenly have that... I mean, people say, oh, words don't matter, but, you know, they do. They bring attention to you and... Yeah, because it was nearly a year after we released it that mm. that happened. So you kind of forget how hard you work on something when you're stepping into the next project or next album or working on that. All that kind of drifts away. So I think, yeah, I, think I was surprised as well because I guess we just thought it was just something that we're going to do and it was, that, it was, it was never on the radar mm. it just kind of happened and it was a really nice surprise yeah, people working in the arts and working on their passion and the things that they would be doing whether they were paid for or not you often forget how hard you work on things because the line between work and you know your own time is just also mm. blurred and so blurred you know it's not like a you know somebody clocks in and clocks out and they're yeah so mm. blurred because we work from home you know we have studios at home we obviously live there too and um like yeah i mean definitely the last part of the album was difficult yeah to get those last bits done. And there was definitely a couple of times where words were uttered like, um, I'm never making an album with you again. <laughs> <laughs> and such. <laughs> well, now, um, now, I want to come to you, uh, boys. I'm going to have to decide whether I'm going to call you Max or Daffy. Um, which would you prefer me to call you? For the rest of the Whatever you're comfortable with. Oh, God, I'm going to call him 
Daffy then. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, your mother would like it probably better. Um, so Daffy, you decided you, you want to put a you know, band together, an outfit together, and you decided in a very modern way you're going to audition people like online. He didn't tell the well, applicants that was what's happening. No, because I, I said basically I posted on Facebook I want to form a band. You know, I want to sound like Gambino and Chance and N.E.R.D. And, you know, Matt messaged me saying he was interested, but a lot of people messaged me. And, you know, so I obviously had to sift through my applicants and meet everybody and be like, what do you sound like? What are you doing? What are you working with? And how many people did you meet? I only met with three people. So there's a bunch of them. Like, I heard yourself and you suck. So I already knew a lot of people were good. I knew Matt was good. So I'm like, yo, I just met with three. He was one of the three. And this is two other people. And we just had like very short meetings, you know, me and Matt had a good meeting. And he's bitter about that for some reason. I don't, I don't know. But yeah, so that's what I did. And, and so why did you choose Matt above the other applicants? Because no one sounds like Matt the way Matt sings. It's like he has a very unique voice. Like I can't think of any sing singer who he's similar to. If you can make music that is not only good, but is like almost uniquely solely to you, I think that's mm. the best thing you can do as an artist. If you can make something that's just your sound. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, like this is where I'm going to get in trouble now. I don't think Beyonce is a great singer because she, she doesn't have the unique thing. You know, I know that out there now they're all coming for me in the beehive or whatever. I think she's one of the greatest live performers ever. I think she's amazing. I love her. But there's nothing unique or special about that voice. But we say with Diana Ross, there's something in there that only sounds like Diana Ross. And you were looking for your Diana Ross. That's it. I mean, some voices don't got... <laughs> you know, it, it, it sounds real bad, but like some voices don't have a lot of personality. Like take Susan Boyle, for example, who is amazing singer, but I there just love you singers. that you chose Susan Boyle as <laughs> your example. Yeah, You're this cool 21-year-old you know, hip dude. And that was me being smart. I don't want no one's fan base coming after me. You're such a Beyonce. I was like, Susan Boyle fan base is here. This is cool. I was going to say Rihanna or something get attacked on Twitter. So I was like, yo, Susan Boyle, no one will come after me. <laughs> okay, well, sorry. I interrupted you about your Susan Boyle. But yeah, Susan Boyle sounds amazing, but I mean, she doesn't sound you know, that unique. Like, there's a lot of people who are equally as good. I mean, what makes Susan Boyle special from those people? And if you can't come Her up with something. Story. That's true. I don't, he, we, don't have, we don't have sob stories, unfortunately, you know. I look for that. I'm like, have you uh, maybe suffered a tragic loss? <laughs> uh, did your dad get killed by, you know, his brother for the kingdom? Like, do you have any kind of story I can work with? Um, but no one had any of that. So we just kind of went with the unique voice thing. Now, now, now Matt, you couldn't look more Irish. Yeah. And, um, and, and you're a Gale Gore. But, but you weren't in, it's not a Gaelic family, or you weren't born in the Gaelic area. You took Irish yourself. I, I hated Irish for years in primary school. And then in first year, secondary school, I won a scholarship to the Gaeltacht. And mom was like, yeah, you're going on that. <laughs> so uh, I went and loved it ever since. Like I've been back every single summer since pretty much. And why did you love it so much? It's a, it's, it's a weird kind of community. It has its own music, it has its own culture, it has its own, its own language, obviously. But even the humour and the jokes that go along with that, it's just this, it's an amazing little community to be a part of. And it's a very tight knit community as well. So we're talking about Eructus Nisauna, which is this kind of gathering of Gwailgori every October. And they kind of pick a different hotel each year that we all, the hundreds of Gwailgori of all ages just come down and there's, there's Shandell singing competitions, there's, there's step competitions. You're, you're um, looking over at, at NEK because you're very familiar yeah. with this Gwailgori world too. Well, you were born into it. I was, in a way, my grandmother was from the Gwailtuk in Donegal, Gwailtukirke, and uh, so my mother had Irish growing up, but I grew up in Kildare, so it was a little bit... Uh, we weren't the usual, I suppose, family speaking Irish in Kildare. Mm. Um, but I had it from home, yeah. Yeah. It's funny like that. It's, it's unusual because like, people always think that I got it from my parents. But my parents aren't involved in Irish, but my college group were. Like in my college house, 
the thing that made us very different was that we only really spoke Irish to each other. Yeah. Um, a lot of them were, they were from the Gwaeltocht and they'd be their first language. So we are like, why not? We'll just, we don't really need to speak English if we have that option, which is cool. And so when I was introducing you guys in the beginning, I was sort of jokingly saying that you're kind of the poster boys of multicultural Ireland, you know, because, you know, here you are, you know, the ginger Gale Gore, and you're working together with Ireland, who's from, you know, Nigerian heritage with his bleached, blonde dreadlocks and yeah, it's a symbol the, of all of that. The Oreo and, mixer, right? And you're doing songs right now where you're actually mixing Irish in with it all too. Yeah, we don't do it. It's not something we do a lot though. We should do it more, but that's, that's my fault, I guess. So tell us about the song you're about to do for us. This is a song written by Daffy when he was a solo artist yeah. years and years ago because she hated love songs and then I translated the verse into Irish or the chorus into Irish, I should say, and we made it acoustic. But um, as to why you wrote the song, I like Daffy to explain that one. Oh, yeah. So I was dating this girl, you know, and she was like, like Susan Boyle. Yes, yeah, Susan Boyle. <laughs> it's all coming out now. We've been evoking <laughs> dating this whole time. No, but she was real, like, kind of cool scene kid phase as we were all going through. And she's like, we're all black. And she hated love songs, right? She's like, I want to listen to, like, some heavy metal stuff. Yeah. And then when we broke up, eventually, I was like, you know, really piss her off. You know, if I wrote her a love song, wouldn't that be gas? <laughs> so I just wrote it. And, like, it's not even so much about her, but I thought this would be really annoying. Like, you'd have to see this to be like, this is about me and they hate it even for two reasons the fact that someone wrote a song about you and the fact that it's a love song so yeah it's there to be petty as we're notoriously all petty songs. in our music yes it's incredibly petty so it's like it's not so much a love song as a revenge oh revenge song yeah for sure well let's hear it yeah cool Sport, working the hook, versus the verse, fat chorus and simple strings, but lies are true, hers, nurse a beer with a I flirt for some more Sour kids in the patches So and sore Door door Record sales Often with snowy hail So line of the green Never snores It kills That's in store Blue pills Is the norm Confirm I never heard of it Confirming that I slap a what? In the ass of course She Risa Pulling bitchy with a crazy Dean Pilton Switches lanes as he changes teams Switches frame for a colder scene Yes, I am somewhat frosty She's a 10, so she obviously wants me to do a max honk. I am so damn cocky, selling this L, you'll be so damn comfy. Fall off, spread that ish like Humpty Dumpty. Although she hummed me, then she dumped me. I mean, she hummed me, then she dumped me. I mean, she hummed me, then she, she hummed me, then she, she hummed me, then she dumped me. She marama she machara mustawar. Sounds great to do together. Uh, I like it. Um, 
somebody that we've had on the show before is Ola Mejikadomi, who also has Nigerian heritage, and she's also Gail Gore, and she's also a young and wonderful oh, person. Yeah. And uh, she recently put up a video that she had made online, and it's gone viral, and it's about what an Irish person looks like. And she talks to people um, who don't look, I'm putting on my virtual comments here, uh, like the traditional w- white person, and it's talking about how people react when they say they're from Ireland. And two of the people who appear in that video are guests today, because Max, you're in it, and Felicia, you're in it. Um, so, well, first of all, how do you know Ola? And what do you think of it? It's been, it's been sort of the success of it immediately online. Firstly, how I know Ola, I think she asked me to come on one of her radio Irish stations. And I was like, sure, why not? And I was equally uh, pleasantly surprised about her being a Gilgore and being Nigerian. The success of the video, it's really impressive. Um, yeah. I checked it again just before we came on and it was like 38,000 views. I was like, whoa, go Ola. Yeah. Um, yeah. What did you do when you came to Ireland? I moved here when I was about seven. So you are, you're, you're Longford. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but when you came here, you, you, already, you already spoke fluent English and French. Yes. And then you arrive in Ireland, you have to learn Longford. And, and then your Irish is thrown into the mix too. So... If you were to describe your sense of identity now. I generally don't like walk around with labels, but if I had to, I would be like, oh, I'm Afro-Irish. But um, alternatively, I just say I'm a Felicia. It's just easier (laughs) and it just ends the conversation and we move on swiftly. Yeah. (laughs) You haven't been to Nigeria since you came here as a a kid. I haven't been back yet. Hopefully I go back this year, but I I don't know. I'm not holding my And is that terrifying or exciting or? Uh, Good blend of both because it's kind of like being so obviously Nigerian, you know, like with my features and not having real world experience of it since I was six in yeah. the country. So it, it's a little scary and really exciting. And it's like a melting pot of emotions. I just mm. would just like to go back and, and feel I think, it out. Uh, Daffy, you're going back at Christmas to Europe. Yeah, I'm hoping to. I mean, if I got money. But when I, was last you were there? I went back once when I was like 12. And, and um, in the same way that, you know, you think about, you know, Nigerian parents think of education, they're big on educational. And your parents were that, weren't they? Yes. My parents are huge on education. Um, I had to really be dying to not go to school. So, yeah, so I, I had to do well in primary school, in secondary school, college, whatever. It's just as long as you graduate, you don't embarrass me, you're good. Yeah. yeah. I'm so glad I'm done with college now because now my siblings, mm. the one is 13, one is 15. And they're basically in secondary school and one has just done his junior start. So in the middle of all that, I remember my mom calling me up one evening and she, she's so dramatic. She's Nigerian, sure. Uh, so she calls me up and she was like, um, all right. And that's my Yoruba name. She's like, all right. And I was like, yes, mom. And she's like, you need to talk to your brother. And I was like, what does that mean? And she's like, you know, he's not studying hard enough. You know when you went, oh, I was like, oh, she's going to go into this spiel about when I was 15, I was an excellent child. And mom is like, that's not how I feel felt back in the day but um it's just now that you graduate you just you get it like an extra gold star yes as as Mm. long as you you don't embarrass them in that factor yeah and so what do your parents think of your poetry i think my parents think i'm cool and that's (laughs) like i've made it in life jesus come come back (laughs) you are very cool they like (laughs) thank you they came to one of my shows I, i 
basically dragged them, made them download Google Maps and everything. <laughs> okay, left their shed in Longford. <laughs> <laughs> and they came to the Workmen's Club. Yeah, okay, yeah. So, yeah. They, <laughs> so they came to the Workmen's Club for like an hour show and they sat down in the audience at the very front and they were like gawking at me. And at the end, my mom was like, wow, that's so cool. <laughs> and, well, well, because because your, your parents too are, are also, as is very often the case with Nigerian parents, they're religious. Yeah. And your poems aren't exactly, you know, I'm skipping through a field of flowers, you know, hail holy <laughs> host. You know, there's, there's sex and stuff. <laughs> uh, so how did mom feel about that? Um, I think it's either she's just accepted that I'm an adult and she's... They never accept yeah, that. Yeah, she's secretly <laughs> like, you know what, she's an adult, she's passed her exams, she can do this. Or she just doesn't read my poems and doesn't tell me. But either way, I'm okay with it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they don't seem to have a problem with my um, poems because they understand my whole freedom of expression thing. Yeah. I'm the mouthy one at the house, so it's just, I'm going to say how I feel or you're just not going to listen to and it's, you know, it's interesting to me, especially been doing this show, we've met so many poets. It's become really cool, poetry. Partly, I think, to do rap and all of that. It's all sort of fed into it. You're and welcome. So how did you <laughs> get into it? I've been writing for a really long time. I used to call my writing copy uh, my book of thoughts. I didn't realize it was poetry till I was about 16. And the first time I got into the scene was through Maynooth University, the Literary Society, which Daffy used to be part of. Do you know each other in college? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. So the Literary Society, in my first year of college, I just went to one of their poetry slams and thoroughly um, shook on the stage, and that's how I started. Yeah. Okay. Now, so, and so the piece you're going to do for us today is called... How About Us. How About Us. And do you want to tell us something about it before you go into it? Yeah, sure. Um, context. So the month Donald Trump was inaugurated mm. I think it was January 2017 yeah. and I remember the whole fanfare around it everybody being angry about it and I remember hundreds and hundreds of thousands of American women held a women's march yeah. mm. and I remember also just other people like rallying in support and I took a moment and I was like okay this is really interesting use of power and this is awesome and then I thought about all kinds of women all over the world that don't even have the privilege of marching for their rights. Mm. And I was like, damn, it would be nice to use this power to work and help women that really do need their voice. Mm. And that was very important to me. And I did research while I was writing the poem. Mm. And that's, that's what the poem is about. Okay, well, let's hear it. So how about us? And who will march for us? For desert flowers who have pieces of their pleasures parted from them. Held down by mothers with shaky hands who fight, but with blades of protection stumping out growing sprouts destroying their own. And who will march for us? For cloaked women who have been served the sentence of inferiority long before they could even speak. For cloaked women with voices like megaphones whose cries echo freedom between each strike. For hooded sisters who abuse girls with eyes full of hope once like theirs. This is no place for such rebellion. For hooded sisters wishing death will find them young. And who will march for us? 
For baby girls who are sold as cattle, their virtue found to be too costly. For baby girls who are dragged to husbands' homes without their training wheels on. For daughters who sell their bodies because poverty the pimp the man so. For girls whose thighs are pried open by fathers who've never been taught how to be men. And who will march for us? For girls who are fattened, bred, and fed for men whose appetites feel like basket water, devoured but never enough. For girls whose identities are buried under the cloud of kitchen smoke high on the opportunity to serve at least. For girls who can point out pain in the alphabet but can't even spell their own name. For girls whose blood boil hot for freedom but remain with bound feminine feet. And for girls who have dreams of holding a book but don't realize there could be women like Maya Angelou, J.K. Rowling, Chimamanda Adichie, Felicia Olusanya, and who will march for us? Who will fight for us? Who will cry for us? I will. Ireland, please march with me. Thank you. Thank you. I want to actually come back to you, Circle, but one thing is um, you've had a difficult year and you've had a great personal loss this year. And it's a loss of somebody that lots of people out listening uh, will, will know. And it's this young boy, Michael Stokes, who a lot of people will have known from when he was on um, Dermot Bannon's TV show. Can, can you tell me what your connection to, to Michael was? And um, I can. It's complicated, uh, but I've, I've known Michael since he was a year old. I used to be a care worker, actually, in a, a place where he lived. And I was one of his main carers till he was about five or six. And mm. I moved out of that job. I became a, a therapist on the side of music. Uh, <laughs> Everybody <laughs> music has a side, yeah. <laughs> um, and we just have been close, like... It's hard to describe. Like, mm. uh, it's a very unique relationship, but up until... The day he had his accident, I would have heard from Michael maybe every day or every second day. And he loved taking a selfie. <clears throat> I don't know if anybody has ever seen his selfies, but he was really good at them. And uh, he might ring me up and say, um, hey, have, you looked at, have you looked at Instagram yet? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I saw, your, saw your selfie. And he'd be like, uh, why haven't you liked it yet? <laughs> <laughs> so I might get calls like that, you know, every day. Is it just, just to clarify, <clears throat> for anybody who might know, um, so he was in a wheelchair and sort of the country met him when Dermot Bannon sort of transformed. That's you know, right. He had um, osteogenesis imperfecta, mm -hmm. which means he had very brittle bones. And he had that from birth yeah. and was never expected to actually live when he was a baby. But um, he just had such a joie de vivre since mm. he was tiny that mm. he was still going strong when he had a, a terrible accident. But um, everybody did get to know him. He was on, yeah, he was on Dermot Bannon's show with Anne and Barry, who took him in. They all just made this beautiful family and Dermot did their house so that it was all wheelchair accessible. And his life actually was really just beginning mm. when it was taken away. So it's been really difficult. Yeah, it's been a very difficult time. He was 15 mm. when he died. So he's been a very large and important presence in my life. Mm. 
So I'm still, I mean, I'm still grieving. I'm still in a very strange place about it um, because we actually won the choice prize on a on a Thursday night and the following, the Friday week later, Michael had a, an accident and was in the ICU in Temple Street, who were absolutely wonderful, by the yeah. way. They're such an amazing place. But it was seven long weeks uh, with him there and <clears throat> and then he, he died. <clears throat> and I'm still, I feel like I'm still in a place where... Um, it's very hard to be reflective about it because yeah. uh, it's still quite active. Uh, but he would absolutely love to know that I was talking about him. <laughs> and he would uh, he would absolutely love to know that you were asking about him. So, in, in honor of Michael, I'm happy to I'm happy to talk about him here for. And uh, are you one of those people? And often musicians are that they turn to music when things are, are difficult. Or I presume at some point that part of me will kick in, which has always mm-hmm. been my way of coping. So as, we, as we heard with the tragic Golden Rule earlier, <laughs> um, I'll find a way to channel some difficult emotions and process Mm. so you know it's probably too soon for me to know so for instance when you know when he there was seven weeks of a terrible time and then he died and actually no I couldn't play any music um we we think we did have a couple of shows and there's I think all performers here know we've got a a feeling of the show must go on Mm -hmm. so I did some uh, gigs and I hopefully brought what was needed and that kind of thing but um in terms of writing and processing, I would imagine that's going to take some time. Mm. Any K, your music, which comes from all the various influences that, that are around you, you would say too that there's a sort of African beat sometimes in your music. Somehow or other, yeah, African beats got into just one song that I, I'll be singing here, uh, Come With Me. Yeah. And I don't know, it was very, very subconscious. I'd, I'd say somewhere um, Lady Smith Mombasa was, was played a lot at home, one of the records in the record collection. But yeah, I've, I've been to uh, Kenya and I like loved the music there I heard. So I think, yeah, I, I listen to lots of different types of world music and that, so it all mm. finds its way out then when I get to the piano or guitar or whatever. Well, so, um, so tell us a little bit more about the song that you're going to do for us. Yeah, so it's called Come With Me and it's about home and, and where your heart is when you're travelling. I was travelling for three years with a dance theatre company. I was singing and playing um, and a bit of dancing. And uh, You're a dancer? Uh, well, I like to think of myself. <laughs> I do like to dance, but... Uh, <laughs> Your body's just another instrument. Yes, exactly. (laughs) It is. Um, So I was away a lot, traveling a lot, and I was just thinking a lot about home and relationships and what what it means to me, like where home is. So I found that home is where my heart is, and that's kind of what the the song's about. Exactly, Dorothy. Mm. Let's have it. (laughs) Yeah. Come with me over the mountain Come on and put your boots on Come with me through the valleys Come on and put your boots on The day will rain and shine But baby, come on and put your boots on Cause the rainbow will be beautiful Indigo, violet, red and blue
get your boots on or come with me into the music hey come on and put your boots on come with me i hear your leader beckons me says come put them boots on yes you say let me be danced or let me be sung let me Every now I can go anywhere with you Cause home is where my heart is in you Oh you are where my heart is I can go anywhere now Anywhere in this world Knowing my home is with you Oh home is where my soul is I've been looking for my home in lost places But I And were you the music nerd then? Are you the person who everyone else is listening to Steps and you were listening to world music? And, you know, uh, I was listening to all sorts. Like, I was very pleased to tell somebody the other day that my first gig was the Eels. I thought that was pretty <laughs> cool because I wouldn't consider myself so into, like, the, the cool gang, you know, growing up. <laughs> I was listening to Shosova Haney and all these Shano singers. Like, yeah, but they're very cool now. They're too, cool now. It's like, coming yeah. back. I'm cool now. So it's I good. You play a lot of instruments. Like, yeah. I think that gives you access to, to music that somebody else can't really access in some ways. I would say for me it was more the vocal side of things that brought me into other types of cultures. Because I think when you know your own culture so well, then you sort of hear what's beautiful about, uh, say, Indian singing or African singing or that. Um, I just briefly just want to ask you all really what you're doing now and what's up next. So what are you up to? I'm writing, writing away. So uh, writing a new album is the main thing now, taking a bit of time out for that. Um, Fairly Speaks. You are um, plugging away, is it? I'll be working on Dublin French Festival yes. show. Yes, you have a show coming up in French that you wrote. I'm co-writing with another spoken word artist called The Gogo Heart. And the show is called The Boy Child. Uh -huh. And it's a spoken word play. And, you, and what's it about? Or can you tell us? Uh... Um, so it would be about exploring masculinity um, from boyhood to adulthood. Okay. Uh, well, I will definitely come. Hopefully. Um, Simon, what's, what are ships up to? Same, same as any, uh, any K, we're writing away, but we're also doing some, funnily enough, at the same time, have, we're asked to do different theatre projects with different groups, so we've, we're kind of expanding our, our what we, we do a little bit, but at the same time, you know, we're, we're always still experimenting and writing away and just making, making plans. And Tyrex, what are you guys? We're, we're doing bits, we're doing bits, so we've... Um, yeah, this is the fun thing. We love experimenting with different genres in our own music. And now we're mixing with artists like Eve Bell, who's just this phenomenal solo female uh, vocalist. Um, we also have another collaboration coming out with a band I'm really excited to work with because I listened to them loads growing up, which is the Blizzards. So oh. we'll be doing some bits and bobs with them as well, um, which is really cool. So we're 
twitching on rock as well. Of course. Yeah, I'm also uh, looking for a job if anyone's trying to hire me. That'd be, <laughs> <laughs> that'd be great. Just putting out there. Well, you're doing a master's in, what's your master's in? It's in critical and creative media. So, apparently, if you're trying to, yo, get an intern, I'm, I'm yeah, saying. Listen. I got you. I got you. But, but, but you're actually big sort of ambition. You think is you're, you want to be Jay-Z or yeah, well, Childish Gambino is your big. So, I, I wrote like a screenplay for a TV show. I'm going to try to get made at some stage. We'll try to do music. I'm going to try to do directing for music videos and do as much as possible. You're going to be a mogul is what you want. You're going to be Jay-Z. Yeah, I'm hoping to. I mean, if I got money. But and with that is the end of this episode of Pantasocracy, but it's also the end of this season oh. of Pantasocracy. Um, so I'd like to thank all of our guests, you know, Sork and Simon from Ships. Thank you. Uh, Bailey Speaks, Inie K, and of course, Tabby Rex. I call you Max, uh, your stage name in Max. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'd like to thank also uh, Athena Media, uh, make this show, a previous show on behalf of RTE. So thanks to, especially to Helen and John and Athena Media, and to everybody here at Windmill Lane Studios where we record the shows. Thank you all very much. And good evening. Thank you.